Hi, it's Joe Burns. Thanks for listening to the Rock School Radio Show podcast, now in its ninth year. If you'd like to hear the show with all the music intact, go to prx.org and search Rock School. There's all the shows. You just have to stream them. Can't download them just yet. Want to see the Rock School website? Go to kslu.org. Click on Programs. Click on Rock School. There we are, plus all of my academic lectures. Now enjoy this week's Rock School Radio podcast. Adams, Adam Lee, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school. Rock school with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Wow, that's the one Fonzie hit. That I, no, no, actually, I have that on here. You, no, you don't. I do. The one that Fonzie hit, the one that was inside of Al's diner, <laughs> yes. is a Seaberg M100C. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show. My name is Joe Burns. As if I didn't know, who are you? Well, I am Tammy Burns. You're the strange woman that keeps walking around the house. You grew up, now everybody knows I grew up in Cleveland. Yes, you, you did. You grew up in a little tiny dot on the map in Alabama named... Hackleburg. Hackleburg. Do you remember, I'm asking the audience this, do you remember when the major tornadoes came in and wiped out... What was the name of the town? Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. University of Alabama. That's Roll right. Tide. What a lot of people don't remember is a little tiny dot on the map named Hackleburg was also hit by a major F5 tornado, and it, for the most part, wiped your little town off of the map. Yep, blew it away. It did. The reason I'm talking about Hackleburg is because it's your hometown, and your grandmother, who raised you, worked in a little tiny diner. Shelly's Cafe. Shelly's Cafe, feeding all the feeding all the guys at Shelly's Cafe. Yes. The thing that you will not stop talking about when you talk about Shelly's Cafe is once a week, the guy would show up up with the brand new 45s to fill the juke box yeah the jukebox man the jukebox man now he was also a guy that probably dealt with pinball machines and things like that but you didn't have those at Shelly's nope all we had was the uh the jukebox and he would show up with a truck and all of these new records and we would sit there and just wait. And you know what he would do? Oh, give you pr- some of the old ones, I would assume. Well, he would do that occasionally, but yeah. most of the time, he would take some money out of the machine, flip it over to me, and go, all right, go ahead, play something. Oh, so you got three plays for a quarter for free. I did. How about that? I loved him. Was there anything special about the records that went in that jukebox? Were they white labels? Were there anything... Were they just simply the ones you could buy at Ben Franklin? They seemed to be the ones, and it was it was TGNY for us. It uh-huh. seemed to be the the same ones that you could get at the uh, the Five and Dime. Uh huh. Well, maybe uh, not though. I don't know. I don't know either. the The thing that I remember about jukeboxes, I re- I collected them for a little while. The only one I have left because they're really worth nothing. The only one I have left was a jukebox copy of a seventy eight of Rock Around the Clock, and what I find, I have it 
framed. It's in my office. Yeah. What I find interesting about it is when you look at it, it says on the label that you should perform the foxtrot <laughs> to this song. So jukeboxes. Mm-hmm. If you're our age, you remember one of these being stuck in the corner of just about every gathering place you went to. Or if you sat down at a table, a booth, there was one up on the wall. Yeah, a little miniature one. Drop in a quarter, drop in a nickel, what have you, and you would get a play. And you said to me a long time ago, probably a year ago, why haven't you done the history of the jukebox? Yeah. I don't know. So I had some time. I sat down. I have for you today the history of the jukebox where it came from, how it influenced radio, and some other neat little facts for you, and how the whole world stopped making jukeboxes for World War II, what they did, and how they came back, and pretty much why no one wants to listen to a jukebox anymore, why they're collector's items at best. So that's what we're going to talk about I know none of this information, so hit me, man. Good. We're going to play songs that deal with jukeboxes, and I guarantee that right now the audience is going, jukebox songs, jukebox songs. Uh, A jukebox hero, Foreigner. That's it. Back in a minute after you listen to Foreigner on Rock School. Standing in the rain With his head hung low Couldn't get a ticket It was a sold-out show Talking the history of the jukebox today, and we're probably going to be playing some country music today. Not a lot of jukebox songs in rock and roll. You'd think there would be more because through the 1950s, the jukebox really ruled in terms of early rock and roll. So, I mean, we've got roll over Beethoven and a couple things like that. But really, country music adores the jukebox. I I had never heard that fact. There is. It's not a fact. It's just what I found when I started looking for you know things to play. Yeah, Yeah. you can find all kinds of crying guys. Eyes, worried about their wives, girlfriends, etc. You know, if I die, prop me up next to the jukebox. Okay, you're gonna stink in a week, but yes. sure, we'll do that for you. Okay, history of the jukebox. Where did it come from? In the 1880s, there were already coin-operated music elements, but they were music boxes and they were player pianos, and they used either a long sheet of paper or a metal disc that turned. And normally what happened was there was no real machinery at the time, no Mm -hmm. little servo motors. Right. So what you did is you put in a nickel, a dime, a quarter, or whatever they asked for, and once it went in, it let go of some kind of mechanism, and that freed up a crank. Did I have to crank it myself? Yes, you did. You cranked it yourself. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. And furthermore, amplification wasn't around yet so there were no speakers pushing the sound out so i'm cranking i'm putting in money i'm cranking and i'm getting real close to it to listen well you either wore what were very rudimentary headphones Uh if you want to look up certain things like a kinetophone now people who know what that is are going to say hey that's that's video that's the early Edison, um, Nickelodeon stuff. But if you look up Kinetophone, you'll see people with the very early headphones stuck up in their ears. Normally what you were doing is putting your head or your ear down into a tube, 
that was coming up in the same way that you would talk into a megaphone and the megaphone would amplify your voice. <laughs> yes. This just goes the opposite direction. Any microphone and any amplifier is just the exact same process going both ways. In fact, for, for the heck of it, you could take a, a pair of headphones and turn them into a microphone very quickly. Just switch well, a few I things around. Well, I could do it. Yeah, I could. Okay. In the 1890s, the concept of nickel, let mm -hmm. something go, turn it. These machines were created with actual recordings. Why? Because Edison's cylinder recordings were around. Weren't quite records yet. What there was was a tube, and you slipped a cylinder on top of it. A needle went down. You turned it. That needle disturbed the air, a cantilever system, and out this thing, and you stuck your ear down onto it. Okay, so what's really the first jukebox? Okay. In 1890, Louis Glass and William S. Arnold invented the nickel-in-the-slot phonograph, which they called it, the first of which was simply an Edison phonograph retrofitted with this device that click, and what they had was, quote, the coin-actuated attachment for phonograph. There it is. And they put the very first one in the Palais Roy Saloon, Royal Saloon in San Francisco, November 23rd, 1889. Great. Can I go see it? No. Why? It was destroyed Aww. in the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. Was it successful? Right from the beginning. The two men made close to $4,000 per month. What? With these things. Now, it just wasn't the one. They had a whole bunch of them. They made close to $4,000 per month with these things. They had about 15, 20 of them. Wow. How about that? From the get-go. Boom. People wanted music. People wanted music and were willing to pay a nickel, a dime, a penny, what have you for it. Okay? Yeah. Okay, we're cool. underway. Let's play something from Uncle Tupelo. This is Truck Driving Man. Listen, they talk about a jukebox on Rock School. <laughs> Okay, so we are around 1900. Uh, we've got in San Francisco people dropping nickels to, to the, get their music. Right, yep, to the tune of thousands of dollars per month. Those These guys, guys were doing well. They were rich. Oh, that's a lot of money back then. Wow, that was a lot of money back then. So. What happens next? Mm -hmm. Moving forward, you're still dealing with the, the problem with early movies, too. One nickel, one watch, one person. What you need to do is get to the point where one nickel creates something where everyone can listen. Yeah. You think to yourself, one nickel, one, one listen would be great because that means everybody's paying a nickel. But the mm -hmm. problem is that also means one, and I got to stand here and I, gotta, Wait I, can't, for it. I, I can't do anything. Yeah. Whereas if you got a jukebox in the corner and people are just going to bang nickels in it constantly, yes. it's never going to quit. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what you need. You need something where instead of one person, one movie, one movie, 400 people. That's the way to make money. In 1918, at this point, records have been created. Records are around. I have one of the early, early, early Edison records. Yeah. It's well over 100 years old at this point, and I never take it out of its case. Because I, I used to have also three of the cylinder, mm -hmm. the Edison cylinders. I only have two now because I dropped one of them. Oh, you're not honey. When they say something shatters into a million pieces, 
This thing shattered into wow. a million pieces. And what's funny is I did it in front of like 100 students. So, man, did I catch heck from them. Okay. In 1918, Hobart C. Nyblack, N-I-B-L-A-C-K, it could be Nyblack, but Nyblack, I assume, patented an apparatus that automatically changed records. So now you had a selective jukebox. It doesn't say how many it would play, but what it did was gave you a choice of records. So one box, many choices, plus the AMI company. Automated Musical Instrument Company, their whole purpose was to create these music boxes, made the first amplified box. So now you have it. You have the thing that kind of looks like what we have today. Yeah. In 1928, Justin Seberg was manufacturing player pianos. He combines an electrostatic loudspeaker with a record player that was coin-operated, and you got eight Records. Ooh, now I have a lot of choices. I like it. The question is, when do you get to flip it over? Because there's two songs on a record. Remember, oh, that's coming. That's coming up. That's coming up soon. (laughs) Alabama jukebox in my mind here on Rock School. In the corner of my mind stands a jukebox. It's playing on my favorite memory. No, I can't stop this jukebox in my mind. In the corner of my mind stands a jukebox. It's playing all my favorite memories. Okay, coming into the first break. Something I didn't tell you about Seabergs, this guy, Justin P. Seberg, who created the multiple records. Yeah. How did he do it? Imagine, you know, how you used to be able to take a single spindle in the middle of a record player and you'd put like four records on it. Stack it. Right. And they would drop and slap against each other. Yes, they would. Right now, there's a person out there who is a record collector who is like cringing with every part of his body. The way he did it was created a spindle that was about two feet tall and then in that spindle had eight platters that would spin and on top of each platter was a record. So what you did is you made the decision, I want record number two, dink. And then the along the right side of it was a needle and it would go up and down, choose number two, drop, play. Right. When it was done, it would go back over. Okay, the next guy, I want record number four. Clunk. It would go up, go on to record number four and play. So it was one spindle, eight records, and that's how it chose. You got to admit that's kind of cool. Very cool. Okay, second or first break here. Let's talk about the term jukebox. Yeah, where did that come from? Excellent. It's kind of well, nasty, isn't it? it? It is. Juke is the concept of to dance. That's what it means. So a jukebox came probably from the phrase juke joint, a place where you went to dance. Okay, so where did the word juke come from? Well, juke is spelled today J-U-K-E. More than likely, it came from the Gullah word J-O-U, pardon me, J-O-O-G, jug, meaning disorderly, rowdy, wicked, dance, usually, sexually. Uh-huh. Okay? Okay, here's the other fun thing about it. What's the Gullah language? That is, and this is what I found, and it's, it's kind of, you know, academic, and academics love to make things bulletproof. Mm-hmm. 
It's a Sea Island Creole English, or what is often nicknamed Geechee. Geechee. Do you remember Lady Marmalade? Geechee, Geechee, yeah, 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 which is what she's saying. The woman, Lady Marmalade, must have been Creole from the islands, thus Geechee, she spoke this Gullah. See how it all comes together it in a is, pretty pink bow? Yes, it See, is. See, it's a, a, <laughs> connecting the dots and it works. WMCE, Erie, Pennsylvania, thank you so much for running the radio show. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, that guy who showed up at your uh, grandmother's diner. Yeah, jukebox man. The jukebox man. He was pulling out records and putting records in. Yes, he was. Do you know why he was pulling some records and putting some records in? Because they had fallen off the charts, I believe. Exactly that. Yeah. Or they weren't important to that jukebox anymore. That jukebox wasn't made. They knew how much money the jukebox was making on each song. On each, right. In the late 1940s, the AM, was it AMI? Yeah. They put on these things called song counters because... They wanted to know what songs were being played to the point where Billboard charts began asking what this is later on. This mm-hmm. is this is closer into the you know later 40s. But they wanted to know what songs were being played most on jukeboxes. And since there were really only and I have them here, three major manufacturers of jukeboxes, they could contact those manufacturers and say, look, what are the big jukebox plays? And this was really, in my opinion, more of a rendering of what people liked because it meant pulling a nickel out of your pocket and throwing it into a box. Oh, yeah. You can tell me all day, I love Lady Gaga. Would you pay a quarter to hear her song? No. That's the thing about a jukebox. So what they did is they put in counters, and this guy walked in, and it showed him in some semblance of a readout B-17, which you're not supposed to play according to Olivia Neutron Bomb. Stop, stop. You we're playing that song a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Thus, replace the record because it's probably burnt out. Yeah. But keep it in there. People like it. Don't well, pull out the popular and, and ones. And the other side of that was the the people in the cafe that liked certain songs. Yeah. I can remember when he would pull them off occasionally, you know, when he would just give it to them. Yeah. And they would be like, no, don't pull that one off. Well, I'm putting a fresh one in. We like that song. No, no. Yeah, but I'm putting a fresh no, one in. No, he was switching out. He was switching was he? them out too. You oh, know, yes. You know what else is a collector's item? Mm-mm. The little tiny pieces of paper that would slip in oh, to show no. you. Yeah. Get out of here. To show you, because you can also collect that. Anything is collectible these days. So, got to go and play a song. Hank Williams Jr., stoned at the jukebox. Doesn't that fit? That fits. That fits. Here you go in rock school.
Okay, now wait a minute. You were telling me off air that your your grandmother and your aunt Della. No, no, no. Who won? The, the who lady Shelley. Shelley. Shelley yeah. ran it. it was Shelley's yeah. diner? Yeah. Shelley. So two people ran it. Your grandmother was the employee. Right. Okay. And you said she had a count on literally everything to the point where you stole a Coke one time and she knew it out of the machine. Out of the machine. Are yes. you kidding me? Little, little, little cokes. The you, little one in glass bottles. And you knew for a fact there was Smarties on the on the oh, counter. Yeah. There was a big uh, glass jar of Smarties, and a guy would come in every day. And I think it was three or four for a nickel that you got. And, and he, she knew if somebody nabbed a Smarty. Yes. How do you keep that kind of account? I guess that's how you stay in business. I, I, I don't know, but they did. They were tight. Nothing leaves without making a money. Now, they wanted you to eat and have a good time. And the, and the music was playing, and they were dancing, and everybody was dancing. I'm telling you, dude, when that music hit, people yeah. were... You know, they were dancing. Now, this jukebox, Mm -hmm. was it a physical standing in the corner jukebox or was it at each table? No, it was, it was, uh, when you came through the door, it was to your right and it was a big one right when you walked in. One of the big Wurlitzers? Yes. Okay. Beautiful. In 1949, the model M100A jukebox came out. Why do we care? What it was, was a much smaller version of the model M100. What they did was mount it to the wall on each booth. It was then connected to something in the back that would play cylinder music mm-hmm. for you. So now you had 100 selections at your table in 1949. The only downfall was it wasn't electronic. So if a guy at table one is listening to B-17 and you want to hear B-17, you can't hear B-17 until he's done. When he's done, <laughs> then you can hear B-17. But the fact remains, they were right there at your table. So all was wonderful. And that was all the way back in 1949. Wow. How was about that? Let's do seven days in 70 seconds. My name is Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. All right. Let's do it. Monday, May 2nd belongs to you, Tammy. Go. May 2nd, 1964. The Beatles' second album sets a record by reaching number one on the Billboard chart a week after its release. May 3rd, 1986. The Silver Dollar City Tennessee Amusement Park in Pigeon Forge is sold. And renamed Dollywood. May 4th, 2008, Martha Reeves' home in Detroit is burglarized and $1 million worth of recording equipment stolen. In just a few hours, he's caught at a pawn shop. I love dumb criminals. May 5th, 1986, Atlantic record founder Ahmet Erdkin announces that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will be built in the Mistake on the Lake, Cleveland, Ohio. May 6th, 1993, the IRS confiscates personal property from Jerry Lee Lewis's home in Mississippi and later auctions it off to help pay the $1.6 million he owes in back taxes. Yeah. May 7th, 1998, Steve Perry officially leaves Journey. Oh. I know. Moment, moment. And then May 8th, 1965, Bob Dylan films the famous flashcard scene for subterranean homesick blues. Here we go. Initially... Everything was played on wax cylinders, as I said. Then it went to 78s. And the one I have, the Bill Haley and the Comets that I really dig that says, do the Foxtrot. Yes. Which I always thought was funny because how do I read this thing spinning at 78 that says, do the Foxtrot? I don't know. I don't know. The Seberg Corporation introduced in 1950 an all-45 vinyl record jukebox which means they could put more on it. So how popular were these silly things? From the 1940s to the 1960s, particularly in the 1950s, that was the height of the jukebox. 
In the middle of the 1950s, three quarters of the records produced in America went into jukeboxes. Is that insane? It's wonderful. Three quarters of the records produced in America. That's almost unfathomable. So we were going to restaurants and listening to music as a group. Right. Yeah. So there was a chance you could break a song on a jukebox. Yeah. If you did it right. Let's play something. Flying Burrito Brothers. Jukebox Saturday night. It's on Rock School. One more quick one before we get to the break. Now, we've been talking about all these different boxes and such. When did a jukebox look like a jukebox? When did it have that rounded top look with the pretty bubbles coming up on the side? Well, that would be the 1950s. Well, actually, it's no, it's the 1940s. As a matter of fact, 1946. The one that you look at that's got the speakers in the bottom and the little glass window at the top yeah. that looks like right at the beginning of Monday, Tuesday, happy days, and there it is. Uh-huh. That's the one you want to look at. Put this into your brain. The Wurlitzer 850 of 1946, otherwise known as the Wurlitzer Peacock. That's the one we all want? That's the one that first looked like the jukebox that you think about. That's the one that made everybody go, wow. That's the one Fonzie hit? That I, No, no, actually, I have that on here. You No, you da, don't. Da, da, I do. The one that Fonzie hit, the one that was inside of <laughs> Al's Diner, yes. is a Seaberg M100C. Oh, you're going right to your iPad, old device. That's the, uh, once again, Seaburg, S-E-E-B-U-R-G, M-100-C. It's at the opening of the Happy Days TV series. It's and the Selectomatic, It's huh? the Selectomatic. You see the picture <laughs> I, I of it. Do, and that's I the do. one that he hit. Lovely. One more, then we're going to go into the break. This is uh, Chuck Berry. Roll over, Beethoven. Tell Tchaikovsky the news on Rock School. Coming into the second break, let me tell you something about jukeboxes and Top 40 radio. Everybody knows the phrase Top 40, and where it came from was just that. A radio station would take the Top 40 songs on a chart, and they would play it again and again and again. Now, they wouldn't start at one and go down to 40 and just keep playing it. What they did is they took the 40 songs, and they broke them into three rotations, or four, or whatever they chose to do, and then they would intermix them, making sure at certain points during the hour when they knew people were listening, uh, uh, an hour is always broken into quarters, and the first quarter hour, zero to 15, is normally the highest listened to quarter hour, and on and on and on. So what you would do is you'd rotate those songs through. Well, where did Top 40 come from? The story goes, and those of you who are radio files out there, those of you who know radio, yes, 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 I have seen the books, I have seen the stories, that what I'm about to tell you is complete bunk but a nice story. And why let the facts get in the way of a good story? So there, I have prefaced it with that. But the story of how the inventor of Top 40, Todd Stortz, 
came up with the idea is this. And again, it's been told so many times, no one's sure where the truth ends and the lie starts, or if the whole thing isn't just a big giant lie. Well, I need to hear it. It's at least part of it. It's at least something that got us to top 40. Here goes the story. Television had just come in and was starting to take listeners away from radio. Plus, there was also the concern of payola and other things were happening in radio. Well, Todd Stortz and Bill Stewart went to, and by the way, Todd Stortz owns a radio conglomerate. And one of the stations he owned was WTIX here in New Orleans. Fine. So what happened was they went to a bar, diner, bowling alley, somewhere where there is beer and a jukebox. Okay. And the two of them are sitting there talking to one another. How in the world can we possibly, you know, build revenue? How can we get people to listen to us? There's this new thing that's stopping people from listening. And it occurs to Stortz that people are shoving quarters into a jukebox or nickels into a jukebox again and again and again. And the music never stops. No one's paying for this music, but the patronage. It's not the owners. It's the patrons. Right. So they surmise the two of them over, I don't know how many beers, the concept of, look, if someone will listen to the same song again and again and again by paying for it, they'll want to listen to the same song again and again and again for free. So what we'll do is we'll take a certain number of songs. Ah, let's go look at the jukebox. So they went to the jukebox. Guess how many songs were in the jukebox? 40. Now, how much of this is true? I think Uh, all of it is. I uh, like it. I don't know. It's a great story. It's a great story. Fantastic. The thing is, once it started at uh, KOWH Omaha and WTIX in New Orleans, success. It worked. Now, the thing is, people are going to say that's all horse malarkey because there were already top 10 shows. There were already top 20 shows. And what Stortz did was just expand it out. And instead of a a specific hour for the top 10 of the day, he decided to take the whole day and turn it into top 40. But that's boring. It is boring. That's not as cool a story as a jukebox in the corner. I like it. Yeah. So who's listening to us? Oh, that would be WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, our first affiliate who is still with us. Back oh, in nice. a, yeah, back in a minute here in Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, I've already told you about the Seaberg Corporation. You've heard them come up a couple times. Yeah. They started in the 1920s and are no longer around. Did they sell to someone else or they just went out of business? No, they closed up in 1979. By the way, they were the first to create something that could play 50 different records. That wow. was their claim to fame. And also the fact that it is a classic M100C at the beginning of Happy Days, and that's what Fonzie yes. smashes into. Mm-hmm. Wurlitzer. Mm-hmm. Wurlitzer was a huge maker of jukeboxes at the time. They also created all kinds of things to play around on. They had uh, player pianos and they had games, things like that, novelty kind of stuff. The jukebox section manufactured all the way up until 2013 and when it was sold to Gibson Guitars. The division still exists, but they do not make new uh, 
players, what they do is simply create replacement parts and wait for the ones that are out there to break down and service collectors. Wow, very yeah. cool. The idea of the jukebox is on its way out. Alan Jackson, don't rock the jukebox. What happens if you do? I don't know, but he just wants you to play him a country song. Here on Rock School. Don't rock the jukebox. I want to hear some John. Because my heart ain't ready for the rolling stone. Play me a country song. You don't rock the jukebox. Play me a country song. Got time for a couple more breaks because the songs are so short in this one. In fact, we're going to play one from Merle Haggard here in just a minute. Someone told my story where he plops a nickel in a jukebox and what comes out is his life story. He's probably a jukebox baby. In the 1930s, I said there were three major creators of jukeboxes, Wurlitzer, Seberg, and also the one you may know, Rockola. Yeah. You ever see the Rockola? I have. I loved that. They came out in the 1930s based on, believe it or not, the company's founder, whose name was David Cullen Rockola. How do you get a name like Rockola? I don't know. Why, do why, that. What wasn't his first name like Johnny? Yeah, Johnny Rockola. He should Ooh. be constantly wearing a leather jacket with slicked back hair and calling people brother the whole time. <laughs> uh, it says here that not only did they make jukeboxes, but they made shuffleboard games. Do you remember those? They were like nine feet long, and they had those little metal discs. Yeah, I remember those. And the barkeep would come out every so often and sprinkle this weird brown talc onto it. And the the surface was like a bowling alley surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that stuff never got off your hands or your pants. I spent way too much time in these kind of bars when I was a young man. Finally, the last piece of information, and we'll have a little discussion in the last break. In 1995, the U.S. Postal Service issued a 25-cent stamp commemorating the jukebox. Get it? 25 cents? Sweet. That's what it costs to play a song. Here's that Merle Haggard I offered you, or promised you, at least here on Rock School. Someone told my story in a song. Okay, last break. We'll finish up with Joe Diffie. Prop me up beside the jukebox. We're doing a lot of propping. I noticed that too. Stoned at the jukebox. Yeah, a lot of people get drunk and go stand by the jukebox, I guess. guess. Don't hit it too hard or it'll. No, it'll Mess shake. up the song. That it will, and people get upset. That's my quarter. That's, yeah. You know the thing that always bugged me about a jukebox Mm-mm. is when you got three plays for a quarter. Yes. It should have only been one song, one person, because if you get a person up there with really poor musical taste, and they jam in a quarter, or they jam in a dollar, and they have the next six choices. Yes. And the first thing that comes out is, you know, sometimes I feel I've got to uh, uh, run away. Oh, geez. We got two more of these coming. And if not, have you had the person that put in like a song, then another song, then the same song again? Yes, me. Stop that. Me. I did that. Did you? Oh, yeah. Well, we disliked you. We weren't a fan of you. Or you played a song that was like the B-side of some hit. Oh, absolutely. 
What is yes, this? Yes, I did. I did. I like the B side. You asked me why you thought or why I thought that jukeboxes went away. You suggested transistor radios. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think so. That was in the 1950s. The tubes went away, so transistors were the amplifiers. And that made radio personal. But that's not what the concept of a jukebox was. A jukebox was something that went into a, a meeting place, a bar, a diner, a cafe, something like that. So you wouldn't go into a cafe with a transistor radio. Well, it, I'm saying radio in general because people nah. just tur- started playing the radio. It was cheaper no, than I think, having the jukebox. Yes? No? no I, don't I don't know. I don't think so. I think what happened was people started to cocoon themselves in the 1980s. They began to become singular people, and radio fell, began to, to fall away, especially in the 1990s as well. Why listen to your jukebox when I can listen to my jukebox? And we became, we are becoming less and less a communal group of people, mm-hmm. and nobody cares. They're not going to play, they're not going to be polite and listen to what somebody else wants to play. I will play my music, and that's all there is to it. That makes sense. And I think that's what happened. The advent of also eateries that wouldn't dare have a jukebox, McDonald's, Burger King, you know, Chili's, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that stuff costs money and that maximizes profit to not have to, to pay the money, the royalties to do that. I'll just get a service. And nobody has quarters anymore. That's true. So you'd have to go right. with something else. I mean, you'd these have things, to do a debit card. These things evolved and they became MP3s and all of that, but mm-hmm. nobody wanted it. And I think it's the concept of... Me, 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 me. If 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 you play a song, I don't want to hear it. Why? Because you played it. It's not what I want to hear. And I think that's what killed the jukebox. Well, you know what I want? What's that? I want a hamburger. So do I. And I want to hear some song that somebody plays, and I want to complain about it. I don't even care if I like it. I like complaining. <laughs> so I'm going to complain about it. That does it. I'm Joe Burns. Oh, I'm Tammy Burns. That's right. The history of the jukebox. Was I right on the money? Gosh, I loved I, it. Gosh, I hope so. And that's going to finish us up. Joe Diffie. That's it. Class is dismissed. Pop me up beside the jukebox if I die. Lord, I wanna 